Hey, welcome to the Celebration Church Podcast. We hope this helps you to know God better and to trust Him more. To keep up with us or to get more information, visit celebrationchurchlive.com. Um, we're in the fourth part of our Right at Home series. And with this, um, we've been looking at what it means to let God make things right in our homes. Um, that's where we start every day out, um, is in our home. It's where all of our big decisions are made, life is lived out, all the tensions, hopes, dreams, everything is connected at home. And so we want to let this thing of our relationship with God go further um, than this space. This space is vital, it's important, and I'm so thankful you chose it today. But we want to see it go further than that. And if we're gonna let God make things right at home, well then we have to start off with the concept that maybe there's a thing or two that's not quite right at home. There's some things that need some adjustment, that need some correction, that need some fresh direction. And if we don't see that maybe some things could be better, um, then we won't embrace the better that God wants to do in our lives. And so we want to start with that mindset. If you grabbed a bulletin on the way in, you got gonna track along with our app, um, then we've led off with this, with this idea every week that to make things right at home, we must choose daily to serve the Lord. Um, you've done that. You showed up today. Today's the first day of the week. Um, I know it always feels like the, that Monday is the first day of the week, but it's not. Today is. And so, and here on the first day of the week, the first thing you did was to be able to get your family rallied together and come to church. And that's awesome. And there's a place where that can have a, a little bit easier to do on a Sunday morning because you're coming to a place where people are going to validate that as a good decision. We're hopefully, as you run into people in church, run into the greeters, make connections with the people around you, that you feel like your decision to choose to follow Jesus is, is validated in that space, um, in this space. But tomorrow morning, when you get up, maybe, maybe not, you're going to go to a space that's going to validate that. Most of you are going to go to a place that's not going to encourage your relationship with God. And so in that, those are the most essential, the most vital times to go ahead and make that decision. We've been looking at Joshua chapter 24, verse 15, and um, we've uh, launching from this verse that says, but if serving the Lord uh, seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you're living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. And we were gonna go over this through the entire series because I want this declaration, this challenge to just be very much a part that we understand we've got to make this decision every day for us and our homes. Um, and it doesn't matter how many times we've made it before. I've pointed out every week, Joshua at this point, he's got a long track record of serving the Lord, but yet he still recognizes that, guess what? Me and my household, we're gonna serve the Lord. He doesn't go, just look at my track record. Look what I've done. You know what I'm gonna do. No, he says, I know I have to make a decision fresh every day and I'm doing it. Me and my household, we're going to serve the Lord. 
And in that, um, we have to recognize that as he is doing this, he's speaking to the people of Israel. We'll see in the very next verses that we we looked at those last week, um, that they respond to him. There is this conversational thing in this declaration. All relationships thrive or have their demise based on their level of conversation. Conversation is the lifeblood of any real good functioning relationship. We have to communicate and in our relationship with God, it's totally the same thing. Um, We're gonna look at this truth that prayer should be an essential part of our daily life. It's absolutely essential. And I use that word essential on purpose because essential gets to the concept that it's of its essence. That if you removed this piece, it would cease to be that thing anymore. That it is essential. You, you pull this thing out and it's just, it's just not that thing anymore. Um, there's this lie that's being perpetrated in our society um, that there's such a thing as a meatless hamburger. Um, it's not true, folks. It's just not true. You pull the meat out of a hamburger, it's just not a hamburger anymore. Um, it, it is a vegetable sandwich. Uh, I don't care what you try to market it as. Uh, you can take a bunch of vegetables and squish them up together and squish a patty and try to cut. It's not a hamburger. Uh, it's still a vegetable sandwich. It has a vegetable brick in the middle of it, um, but it's still a vegetable sandwich. Um, the meat is essential. You pull that out and it's not a hamburger anymore. Now, if you want to, you can put other things in there and it's, it's still a hamburger, okay? Um, my hamburgers are about as plain as you can get. I like meat and cheese only, that's it. And so, but it's still a hamburger because it's got meat in it. And some of you crazy people like to put mayonnaise on your burgers. Oh my goodness, Lord, help them. They need prayer, Bronson. They need prayer, I'm sorry, buddy. But it's still a hamburger. You can mess it up with mayonnaise if you want. I ain't gonna eat it. But it's still a hamburger, but you take the meat out. It's not a hamburger anymore. It's essential. Prayer is essential. If we take prayer out of our relationship with God, we can't say we have a relationship with God. Now we're still related to God because once we're his children, once we've stepped over from death to life, we're still his sons and daughters. We're just not actively relating to him as sons and daughters. You all know people who they have parents that exist, but they haven't talked to them in a long, long time. They're still their parents. There's still that genetic connection. There's still the parents that didn't all of a sudden cease to be a mother or a father, but the relationship is not active because the communication is vital. We have to have this place of active connection and prayer. Prayer is not a religious activity. I, really, I understand that in every other religion, it is. But for us, prayer is simply talking to God. It is simply us having a communication, a conversation um, with God. And so whenever we look at Genesis chapter two, we see the creation of, of man. We see that God forms man out of the dust, 
creates man and he's still not alive. And then verse seven says that God breathed the breath of life into the nostrils of Adam, of man, and he became a living being. So here it's once the breath was breathed into him that he was able to be a living being, okay? For this purpose, when we're talking about prayer, I understand that we can have inward meditation of the heart and there's a lot of things that can happen inwardly. But for this thing of prayer that we're talking about today, we're gonna talk about, we're talking about opening our mouths and forming words in prayer, okay? I get it that there are people who say that you can pray silently and do those different things. We don't have a whole lot of biblical evidence for silent. Every time we look at prayer in the scriptures, um, it's about someone opening their mouth and praying. And I think it's important when we go back to God breathing life into humanity that there is something amazing about recognizing how essential prayer is with us taking the first gift God gave human beings, breath in our lungs and using that breath to communicate with him. I think it's just, a, just this beautiful symmetry of it, of you and I taking our very breath, moving our vocal cords and declaring our hearts, our fears, our concerns to God. And, and it's, absolutely, it's absolutely vital. In fact, we see in the early church in Acts chapter two, um, if you're familiar with the scriptures, Acts chapter two is when the Holy Spirit gets poured out. And then here we, we see lots of st- cool stuff happen. We get to verse 42, it says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Um, they devoted themselves. They, they made a willful decision that these were things we're gonna have to be connected with. These are things that are gonna have to be active in our lives. No one is devoted to something accidentally. You're not accidentally devoted to your spouse. You are, if you're devoted, you are purposely devoted. If you are devoted to your career, you're not accidentally devoted to your career. Like, oh, sorry, babe, I just kind of accidentally got consumed with work and forgot about my family and, and spent all my time there. No, it's, it was willful. You, you're, you're connected with it. And so devotion has this place of our will being involved. And so there's this conscious decision. And sometimes in this relationship thing, we can feel like that relationships should just be real organic, okay? That it should just be real intentional. I mean, real, just real organic and not as intentional. That if we're having to be intentional, it feels forced, okay? Um, here's the truth. Anybody who's had a long going relationship knows you've got to do some things on purpose. Um, Married couples, your date night just doesn't accidentally happen. You got to be devoted to it. You have to make it, you have to set it. You have to say, no, this, we're going to set this evening aside. We're going to set this time aside and we're going to have our date night because it's important. We have to be devoted. They were devoted to prayer. In fact, Paul shores this up in his letter to the believers in Colossae and he says, devote yourselves to prayer. He says, you're going to have to make a decision that prayer is important to you. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Watchful is a pretty cool word in the fact that it sums up everything that's important to us, okay? We're watchful for two different, on two different fronts. You and I, we're watchful for opportunities. 
things that come our way that's going to make our lives better, make our families' lives better. We're watchful for those things. And then we're watchful for things that are destructive. We're watchful for things that are going to harm us or harm our families. And the truth is, is that we get into our hopes. We're watchful for the things that have to do with our hopes. We get with our fears. We're watchful for the things that we're fearful of or have anxiety about. This little word watchful in prayer, it covers all of the things that are important to us on both ends of the importance. But then we get into this, not just watchful, but thankful, which we spent a lot of time um, on the idea of gratitude last week. If you missed it, you can catch it on our podcast. So, but gratitude is something that's just so important and it, and it changes the atmosphere of our home and our hearts and just shifts so many different things. But if you'll notice, if I was to say, I need you to make a list of the things that you're thankful for, you're going to start your list off with things that fit under the watchful category. You're going to be thankful for the blessings in your life, things that are going good, all of those things. You're also going to be thankful for the things that didn't go sideways, the things you were fearful could have gone and become a mess or the messes that were made and God came in and did his Romans 8:28 thing and turns all things for our good, the purpose of those who love and are called by him. He is, we're going to be, those are going to fall in our thankful categories and that thankfulness helps us to carry on those places of watchfulness but they're centered in prayer prayers has to be a core part of it and when we look at luke chapter 19 jesus is saying he says it it is written he has said to them my house will be a house of prayer but you've made it a den of robbers. And this is where Jesus comes in and, and he cleanses the temple and he, he gets out the money changers and he, he flips the tables and drives out the, the animals. And this is probably his most aggressive moment. And here he tells them, my house is supposed to be a house of prayer. Now he's cleansing the temple and this is a, this is a, a stone a stone temple, the temple that um, existed there in, um, in Jerusalem. And what is amazing is just shortly after Jesus, is, Jesus does this, at his death, uh, when he breathes his last breath and he gives up um, his spirit and death and his, his physical body is dead. The scriptures say that there was a, a curtain, that there was a veil inside the temple, inside the and separated the holy place from the most holy place or, or the holy of holies. And back behind that um, curtain was where the Ark of the Covenant was. And only the high priest who had gone through all the cleansing stuff, done everything just right, could go back there and offer sacrifices on behalf of the people. And that curtain got ripped from top to bottom, not from the bottom like humans did it, but from top to bottom because God did it and ripped it open and says, because of what Jesus did now, everyone has direct access to me. There's no more jumping through the hoops. There's no more having to get through all of these different things. You in Christ now have direct access. And very soon after that, we see this happen in Acts chapter two where the Holy Spirit comes in and indwells 
the people of God. That ripping was an end to the use of that building as a temple because there was gonna be a different temple. And Paul tells us what that temple is in 1 Corinthians 3.16. He says, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you? We are the temple. We're what's supposed to be a house of prayer, us. We are supposed to be a place. God wants regular communication coming up directly from us, not having to be filtered through a priest, not having to be filtered through any other person, not having to be filtered through any sort of religious activity, directly talking to God. You and I connecting with him on that level. And then in Philippians chapter four, verse six, Paul writes and he says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, gratitude keeps showing up, present your requests to God. I'm so thankful that here the scriptures all that time ago recognized that a battle with anxiety was a real thing. Just do not be anxious about anything. That you and I running up into the wall of personal anxiety, it happens. So there's no condemnation, there's no getting beat up if that's a regular battle for you. But here's what the scriptures tell us. We don't have to live under the weight of it. That that's not what we're supposed to do. Even though sometimes it can begin to feel normal. God wants to create a new kind of normal and tells us not to be anxious about anything. And usually the places of our anxiety have to do with things that are painful, that are fearful, that are hard. And sometimes the hard parts of our life are the parts that will come in and and try to begin to shut our prayer lives down. Sometimes when we're going through something that just seems so wrong and so unjust, just so hellacious, just representative of hell itself, we can forget that we are children of God and we can pull into him and we, we should speak, speak to him and pray to him even in the middle of significant pain. Whenever I was in middle school, I got the opportunity uh, to spend some time with my great grandfather um, as my mom's grandfather. And so I got to spend some time with him. And, and uh, while we were hanging out, um, he told that, shared the story um, about whenever he was uh, five years old and um, one of the most tragic things um, took place with his family. My, uh, my great grandfather was born in 1911. Um, he was five in 1916. Uh, lived in a 1916 uh, style farmhouse in to in Texas. Um, in 1916, we don't have all of the amenities in a home that we have. No indoor plumbing. No anything. And then in 1916, when you're just uh, when you're just a, a a dirt farmer, when you're just trying your best, um, you don't even have a bank. Um, Everything of value is wound up in your crops. They're all in your crops. That's what your value is. And so when it gets, when your crops get put in the barn, um, that, that's everything. That's your livelihood. That is your future. That's where your seed is for the, for the next harvest. And um, this one particular year, 
um, my great grandfather's daddy had had the harvest and wasn't necessarily this bumper harvest, but it was an expected harvest and had it in the barn, had it there. And, and that was doing like a, a good dad would do just little by little, um, had a one room. Everybody lived in the one room farmhouse and, uh, just doing their best, um, to, to make a living. Well, sure enough, um, that, uh, during that, that winter, um, a bunch of little furry, uh, bank robbers come in and uh, go into their little barn bank and start to eat up all their stuff. They ended up with a rat infestation and just began to just eat up all of their harvest. And um, my great-grandfather's um, dad w- wasn't going to tolerate that. He wasn't going to have that as any good young dad would. What's 1916? You go down um, to the dry goods store and you buy the poison. We didn't have the regulations we have today. We didn't have the safety instructions. We didn't have things that were reserved for trained professionals. Um, We had just a guy wanting to do his best to be able to go and buy something that was too strong, too dangerous and buy it off of the dry goods shelf. And so he goes and he buys the poison and gets up under um, the, the floorboards of the barn um, to be able to put the, the poison out to deal with the rodents. And as he gets up under there and crawls up under um, this structure, he gets it under there, opens the tops of the cans to make the poison accessible. And, and there's a, a gust of wind that blows and it blows under that barn. It blows all that poison up into his face. And he's stuck under the barn with all this circulating. And he has to crawl out and he's in there too long, too much of that stuff. And it just, it gets all inhaled in him and it does what high powered poison does. It, it, it begins to take his life. And um, my great grandfather would tell the, told us the story about him holding on at five years old to, to the bedpost there in their, in their home. And he's just holding it as his dad is in the rocking chair, um, just rocking back and forth because his, his daddy can't breathe. He can't lay down in the bed and breathe. There's just too much fluid. And uh, he, has to, he has to sit up in the rocking chair and he's, he's, fighting, he's fighting for his, his breath. And um, my, my great-great-grandfather was, uh, was a, strong, a strong man of faith. Um, man uh, who uh, understood the power of words. My great-grandfather's name was Noble. Um, what a good, strong name to name your boy. Name him Noble. And uh, so he uh, sees that his, his life is, he's not gonna make it, that things are, are not going well. The poison's just, there's too much. There's nothing the little um, local rural doctors can do. And he calls his young family into that one room in their home and calls them in. And here in this space, no one would have blamed my great-great-grandfather for being angry. He was doing the best to protect his family. He was trying hard to make sure that they weren't robbed. He was, he was doing the best. He was, he was young. He had young kids. He had a young wife. He, he had every normal reason to just, to just be mad but he knew that wasn't gonna help anything. He knew that, that something had to happen because it's 1916 and there's, there's no security net. There's no, there are no social programs. There's nothing, nobody's gonna step in and take care of his young wife with those children. 
So he calls them in and begins to pray, fighting for his breath. He begins to pray over them. Whenever I was a, a young dad, some of my kids got to meet my great grandfather and I took a recorder and I wanted to catch this story in his words. He started one sentence. He was about 89 at the time. And he started one sentence. He, he just wept, he just wept. Because he was a five-year-old boy all over again watching his daddy struggle. And he, his daddy began to pray. And he prayed over his children. And he prayed over his wife. And then he began to pray for the man that would, that would marry his wife and love his children and raise them like they were his own. And he began to, to pray over that man, knowing that that man existed somewhere. And he began to pray. And my great-grandfather just remembers hearing that prayer, holding that, holding that bedpost. He said, and then he began to pray over his kids. My great-grandfather was five years old and hearing his dad pray for his children. He's five. But he's praying over his children and then he prayed over their children. And he, pray, he prayed for the generations to come. That they would walk with God, that they would love God. He knew that they were going to be battling a place of whether or not their faith was going to be rocked. Their daddy was taken from them. It was wrong and it was not, not the will of God. But, but that, that prayer, that prayer transformed my great-grandfather's life. And I believe it has sowed seed into my life, into my children's life. And now we've got five grandbabies. That, that man with his dying breath was praying over them too. And that man prayed a lot. But that prayer he prayed in his own home in the ugliest moment of their life transformed the generations and his impact in me and my family all these years later. That we can't let the attacks of the enemy attack our prayer life. We can't do it. Generations are on the line and we can't back off. We can't do it. See, prayers, it's simply conversation with God. That's all it is. It's all it is. It's not spooky. It's not hard. You don't have to use special words or special language. Just be honest with God. We see in, Gen in Genesis chapter three, we see God talking to Adam and Adam talking to God. When we do that now, that's called prayer. So if talking to God is prayer, Adam is praying. So in Genesis three, verse nine and 10, says, but the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. God was calling out to him, leaning into him, wanting to talk to him, even in the middle when thing of his pain and things weren't going right. And Adam wisely piped up and said, I was afraid, I hid, I've pulled away from you, I've done wrong. But he opened up and he spoke. He talked, he prayed, even in the middle of that pain. Luke chapter 11, 
One day Jesus was praying in a certain place and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. Now we wanna pause right here because these are good Jewish men. They've prayed their whole lives. They know how to pray, but they had just been eavesdropping on Jesus praying. And they're like, you pray different. John taught his disciples, we need you to teach us how to pray. So in verse two, he said to them, when you pray, say, Father. I say, Father. This was transformational. We didn't see this before in scripture. Jesus teaching his disciples to open their prayer with the mindset that they're talking to their father was revolutionary. But here's the thing, is our English Bibles don't do it well because we put this word father in there and father is just the generic term for, for someone who had children, a male guy who had children, that, that's all it is. But we get into the, the core word, what the, the word Jesus used was Abba. That is not just this, this term for, for this male progenitor. This is the term of daddy, of papa. That is what he wanted his disciples to do, is go to your heavenly father and call him daddy. Talk to him like you're talking to your daddy. That was transformational. We do that one thing. We do that one thing. We talk to him like he is our daddy and that will change the dynamic of the rest of our prayer life. I guarantee you. Now I know in this room, there are some of you who father and dad and daddy in particular is very tough because you didn't have a good one. You didn't have one who exemplified and showed you and, and built inside of you a beautiful response to that word and to that phrase. But here's something that I know is true, is that inside of you, what is the core of your disappointment and your pain is that even as a child, you had an understanding of what a good dad ought to do. And that was why it was so painful. That was why, because you knew that was wrong. Then your daddy wasn't treating you right. He wasn't responding right. You, you knew it was hardwired there in you. God put that hardwiring in us so that we would lean into him and have the expectation that of what a good daddy would do. And so even though some of you have a hard time with that, I'm, I want to challenge you. Lean in to, this, to calling God daddy based on what's built in you, what your own daddy, what you know he should have been. Know that God wants to be that for you. And we begin to lean in and allow God to begin to transform us. As Jesus begins to teach his, them to pray, he says, you know, Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. In just the order of the way that the scriptures go, he even does this amazing thing. He sets it up like a kid would pray. He says, give us this day our daily bread before forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Isn't that just like a kid to ask for a snack? Before they say, oh, sorry about the mud I took on the carpet, um, but they can have a snack. Oh, sorry about the mud. I made a big mess. It's just like a kid to do that. God, Jesus taught us even in the order of the way things are to be addressed. We address, we, he says, address your needs even before 
this place of your sin and your failing. He wants to connect with you as a tab. And it's in this place of conversation. The message translation puts it like this. When you pray, say, Father, reveal who you are. Dad, I want to know more about you. I want to know more about you. I don't know about you, but I always love hearing stories about when my dad was growing up, my dad with his brothers. I just always love that. Just love knowing more about my dad. The contemporary English version says, pray in this way. Father, help us to honor your name. Come and set up your kingdom. Father, help us to to do it like you do it. Daddy, I want to do it just like you. I want your name to be honored in the way I handle things, in the way I connect, in the the way I behave, in the choices I make. Lord, I want to do it like you. See, prayer, it begins our relationship with God and sustains our relationship with him. Romans 10, 9 and 10 tell us this, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved for it is with your heart that you believe and are justified and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. We begin our relationship by opening our mouth and confessing that he is Lord, declaring it. And then we carry on our relationship with our mouths, with decreeing who he is and go into him in prayer. Hebrews 4:16 tells us this. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. That we can boldly approach the throne of grace. When do we need to boldly approach? Well, when we feel like we don't have room to approach. When we feel like we've messed up when we're in our time of need, when we're in it, when we're in our time of need, most of us will talk to God after our time of need, when we're in the consequences of it. All of a sudden, but when we're actually in the moment, we don't talk to God. And he wants us to boldly come to him. When's the best time for someone who's dealing with addiction to talk to God? It's when they're holding the the whiskey bottle. When they're about to go at it, when they're sitting there and say, God, help me. Talk to him in that moment. When they're they're holding holding the pills, when they're holding the syringe, when they're in their time of need. When you've answered a text from a person you shouldn't have been texting to begin with. When you're sitting there looking at that, am I gonna reply, am I gonna keep this relationship that I've kept secret going talk to God when you're clicking places on your phone or your computer you shouldn't be going doing things you shouldn't be talk to God in that time of need there's grace and help in our time of need we need to talk to him in times we're not used to talking to him this is what's transformational So to do that, to talk to God in times we're not used to talk to him. We're 35 days out from Easter right now. Easter's 35 days away. And so I'm going to send you home now, not with a Kit Kat or a marker. I'm gonna send you home with a challenge. I'm gonna send you home with a challenge for the next 35 days. You already have what you need on your person. You've got your phone. 
and in it there's some sort of a timer. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna challenge you to set a timer for 60 minutes and as soon as it goes off in your waking hours, you don't have to do this in your wake up in the middle of the night, but in your waking hours, set the timer for 60 minutes and as soon as it goes off, just hit reset and start it again. But every 60 minutes, let it go off and let that be a reminder for you to pray about whatever is on your mind at that minute. Whatever's on your mind at that minute, whatever you're dealing with, maybe it's a project at work, maybe, maybe it's a struggle, maybe, who knows what it is, but I'm gonna tell you over the next 35 days in all of those 60 minute moments, you're gonna pray about things you'd have never prayed for before. You're gonna pray about all sorts of things you'd have never prayed for before because it wouldn't, you wouldn't have thought about it. But that little prompt, that little doing something different, it's gonna go, oh, I can pray about that. I can talk to God about that. And so we're never gonna actually be different if we don't all of a sudden begin to respond differently. And this little ex exercise, the little thing, helps us to create some devotion. We're committed to doing this. And every 60 minutes, it just go off. It doesn't have to be a long prayer. You just pray real quick about whatever is on your mind, whatever is on your heart. And I'm telling you, after the end of that 35 days, you're gonna see a dramatic shift in your relationship with God. Our bottom line this morning is this, that opening your heart, it opens your home. And talking is where we open up. It just is. It's how you open up to your best friend. It's how you open up to a counselor if you have one. That's how you open up to God, by talking. Thank you for listening to this message from Celebration Church. You can keep up with all that God is doing here at Celebration by following us on Facebook and Instagram.